Good morning, uh, Harvest Church. It's so good to be here. Uh, on so many levels, it has been such a blessing uh, for me to be here with you. Uh, first of all, our church has started to gather again and have Sunday worships, but we are meeting outdoors, and it is hot. <laughs> I help out with the worship team once in a while, and because of uh, my lack of hair, I, I slather on the sunblock because we're in sun. And you know that like when you go to the beach and you start sweating and the sunblock gets in your eyes, it's, it stings. It's, it's difficult. So it's great to be in air conditioning. Praise the Lord for that. Um, but it's also good to be here and to be able to share from God's Word. Someone asked me uh, today, uh, man, when's the last time you, you spoke? And I had to think about that. Uh, it's almost exactly a year. It's been one year. Uh, so when we merged with Salt Church, I'm no longer, uh, I stepped down as a pastor. I'm serving at that church, and uh, I have uh, the privilege of helping lead worship once in a while, which is, uh, has been such a blessing. Um, but I haven't spoken in a year. And, uh, man, you're, you guys are so blessed, uh, not only with this beautiful building and with Pastor Deal and their family and this praise band, uh, so blessed by them, not only because they're gifted musicians, uh, but because they have the desire to lead in worship, really lead in worship, and you can really feel that. I was really blessed by that song uh, that Jane led, and, and those, those, the lines, and I don't want to mess it up, I hope I don't mess it up too bad, but that Jesus bring new wine out of me. Like, I feel like that was like spoken to me, because I feel like that, you know, that vessel of wine that hasn't been used in a long time, <laughs> dried up and cracked, and uh, it really was my prayer here this morning that God would bring new wine out of me here this morning and, uh, and bless us all. Uh, it's a privilege for me to be here. It's always so good to be back. Uh, I know that I'm not just going somewhere to be some guest speaker when I get like a number of messages uh, telling me we're so excited to have you and we're praying for you. Uh, this is really like extended family to me. Uh, I feel like I'm at home. So thank you for having me. Um, we're going to look at a passage here today, this morning, that is a little bit difficult. It's one of those passages that uh, for a novice speaker like myself, I would normally shy away from, but I want to tell you how we kind of got to this passage, why I believe God led me or how God led me to this passage to share it with you here this morning. Uh, I have a daily, uh, a nightly routine that I have with my three children, Ethan, Ellie, and Ava. They're 10, 7, and 5. And every night we go to a room when we finally can gather them, herd them, basically herd them into a room. And we get them there and we sit down and I, I break out a Bible. And this was a newly gifted Bible to us. And so we kind of started from the beginning. We're going cover to cover. And we're in Genesis. And I'm reading this passage to them as I normally do. And after I read a passage to them, I pray for them. And then I put them down. But let me just uh, uh, make a confession. Uh, when I do this, oftentimes I'm pretty tired by the end of the day. These kids wear me out. And by the end of the day, all I want is for them to f just go to bed. Like just hurry up and sleep. Because then it's like, like, the, like the sun comes out, the birds start chirping, everything is right in the world, and my wife and I can just spend some quality time together. I don't know if it's quality time. She might... Uh, object to that. But we get to sit there and watch TV or do something together where it's not with the kids and trying to uh, keep them from killing each other. So I'm just trying to get them to bed. And so a lot of times, and again, this is a confession of mine, a lot of times I'm just trying to get through that routine so they get down to bed. But this night when I was reading through this passage, this passage started to speak to me and started to really bless me. Uh, it was a passage that I was a little fearful of even as I was reading to my kids because I was fearful of maybe some of the questions that may come out from it. And sure enough, after everything was done and read the passage and we prayed together and I gave them goodnight kisses, as I was kissing one of my children, she asked me this question. Actually, we're going to save that question to the end, okay? We're going to save that question to the end. But she asked me a question that really deeply impacted me. It moved my heart. And at that moment, I remember walking out of there with like almost like I was fighting the tears back because of this one single question. And we'll get to that question towards the end. 
The passage that we're going to look at here today is this. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Genesis 22. Genesis 22, 1 through 14. This is a passage that many of us may be familiar with. Uh, It is the passage where God commands Abraham to sacrifice his son. Again, a passage that normally uh, I would many times shy away from because there are a lot of questions here that may arise and hopefully we answer some of the questions, but more importantly, my prayer is that we look into this passage and that God speaks to us uh, according to his will. So Genesis 22, we're going to read verses 1 through 14 together. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Verse 9, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Shall we pray again and depend on the Lord? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful. We're thankful, Lord, that even in the midst of of COVID and all that is happening, in the midst of all the uncertainties, God, that we can gather together here this morning to worship you. God, you are worthy of our worship. And God, we know that many in this room, many in this room, are going through hardships, trials, difficulties. We pray, Lord Father, that you will speak mightily into our hearts, that we will see a God who is faithful and good. And God, we pray, Lord, that you will speak through us, through your word. God, use this unworthy servant to speak faithfully your word. And as we receive your word, God, may it transform our hearts, for our good, for your glory. God, we love you. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to look at this passage. If you are into titles, uh, the title of this message is God Makes a Way. God Makes a Way. Now, what we're going to, as I was kind of reading through this passage, meditating on this passage, one of the things that really stood out to me was just how in the midst of hardship, how in the midst of trial or difficulties, how do we continue to worship God? How do we respond to hardship? And I think as we look at this passage and we look at how Abraham responds, probably in the most trying time of his life, the most difficult moment the most hardest, the difficult, most hardest struggle he had ever faced, I think it's important that we look at the way that he responds in that trial. My prayer is that as we look at the way that Abraham responds, we will be encouraged to respond 
in a similar way. So there are four responses of Abraham that we're going to look at in this passage. Four responses. The first one we're going to come back to because he, he responds this way three times. And that's the response, here I am. He says those words three times. And we're going to come back to that since he does say it three times. But I want to start with looking at verse 1 and 2. Look at this command that God gives Abraham. After these things, it says, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains in which I shall tell you. This command was in so many ways, when we think about it, look at it, study it, it seems outrageous. How is it that God can call Abraham to, uh, to, to uh, sacrifice his only beloved son, Isaac? Right? Here in this passage, we see that God tests Abraham. God tests Abraham. Now, the thing that we need to realize, and as we look at this passage and un, un, unpack it a little bit more and more, we realize that God doesn't test us to produce faith. It's not in God's intention to test us to do, produce faith that we do not already have. Right? One, one verse that I hold dear to my heart is after my father, who was not a Christian, uh, finally came to Christ and, and, and gave his life to Christ. And I grew up in a family that, because we didn't have a, 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 a leader in our household that was a Christian. I, I didn't know what family worship was. I've never had my parents really even speaking to me through God's word. And this was the first verse my, ever, my father ever spoke to me. He shared this with me as he was going through a difficult time. And that verse is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And God is faithful he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. See, what that verse is saying is that there is an amount of faith that you have, and God will never tempt you beyond that amount. But also, often when we think about God's testing and trialing of us, we think that God is trying to produce more faith out of us. But rather, God always tempts us to the moment of uh, no more and beyond how much faith we already have. See, God doesn't test us to produce faith. He tests us to prove faith. And in that proving of faith, I believe that process encourages us to more faith. It grows our faith. But God never tempts us beyond what we are capable in faith. He does it to prove faith. Now, why is that important? Why is that so important? If it is true that God tests us beyond our faith, more than what we can handle faith-wise, then there is, the, there is the potential that we would fail, completely fail. There is a potential that we don't have enough, because we don't have enough faith, we won't be able to meet that and be able to be faithful. But God tempts us according to our faith. God wasn't trying to produce faith out of Abraham. He was trying to prove that faith, to show Abraham that faith, and to show all of us this great faith. But secondly, in testing Abraham, I believe it shows us that great faith is only revealed through great trials. Great faith is revealed through great trial. Right? The smaller the trial, the smaller the faith, the greater the trial, the greater the faith. I think this works in many aspects of our lives. Remember when I was in high school, uh, my senior year in high school, um, I played a lot of volleyball. I talk about volleyball a lot because it's such a big part of my life back then. And I, I, li I lived, eat, breathe, I, everything was volleyball. And my goal was to be the best player in Illinois. And at one point, arguably, I was, I was close. I was somewhere around there. And I remember they came out with, I don't even know how they figure this out, but they do like All-State, and I got All-State honors. And so I was All-State in Illinois, and I thought I was the best volleyball player in the world. Like, I thought I was, you know, like, the best, the bee's knees. Is that the frame, I phrase? I don't even know. I, I, was, I was the best volleyball player. In, the, in my mind, there was no one better. I was the MJ, or LeBron James, of basketball, like a volleyball. 
right? I was, in my eyes, no one could be better than me. And then I got invited to uh, these junior national team trials for, like, the Olympic team. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, I'm the best. So, yeah, you should invite me to that. So I went to these trials. And it wasn't just Illinois. It was everyone in the nation. And I remember the feeling, like, walking up there. I was like, you know, I was so cocky. I was, like, walking up, like, you know, like, like, like with swagger. Like, I was walking in, like, yeah, I'm going to dominate. And I remember walking in the gym doors and seeing there was, like, 100 people that were there. So they invited, like, like a lot of people who were good. And I remember looking at some of these players, and my jaw dropped because they were, like, head and shoulders better than me. Like, I didn't belong there. I remember thinking, maybe I should just turn around and walk out because these guys were, like, 6'7", six, 6'8", six, like, like, really coordinated. Like, I was scrawny, skinny. I think I weighed, like, 155, 6, with shoes on, maybe 6'1", right? And I was, like, this scrawny little kid. I think some of their legs, I might have weighed as much as one of their legs, right? Some of these guys were so big. And I remember looking at them, and they were, like, jumping higher than me. They were taller than me. They were quicker than me. They were just so good. And I realized that they just... Like, I wasn't really that good at volleyball. In my state of Illinois, right, this small little state of Illinois, in that trial, I was pretty good. But in the scheme of the United States and when these California and Hawaii guys were, were there trying out, I was, like, probably one of the worst ones there. Why am I sharing this story? Because I think it shows that great faith is proven through great trial. So often we, we, when we're going through difficulties and, and God places trials in our lives, often the question we ask is, God, why? Why such a difficult trial? Why now? Why when I'm going through all this other stuff, now you, now you put this other trial on me? That trial isn't placed on you to produce faith that you don't already have. That tra- trial is, is placed on you. That great trial is placed, placed on you to show great faith to show the faith that you have and often to show God's faithfulness. Now let's look at Abraham's response because this is mind-blowing to me. Abraham's response to this command. Verse 2, God commands, you are to take your son to Moriah onto a mountain and you're going to sacrifice your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And look at the response that Abraham gives after verse 2. You see it? There is none. There's no response. Look at verse 3. It just jumps to the next morning. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and began to prepare for the sacrifice. There is no response. None. I mean, if there was ever a time to say something, wouldn't it be now? God commands you to sacrifice your only son, whom you love, the one who is the heir, the one who, through whom all the blessings that God promised were to come, all the descendants, all the, through Isaac. It didn't make sense. Probably, and I think safely to say, the greatest trial Abraham has faced to this day. The hardest moment. Probably the hardest command he would ever have to face to follow. And yet, what does he do? He says nothing. Not a single word. Blew my mind. I don't know about you guys, but when God calls me in a direction that doesn't make sense, I don't often remain silent. I'm often asking God, but why? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense, God, as if I know better. I sit there and say, God, that doesn't seem like the right direction. That doesn't seem the right thing to do, God. Why? I believe there is such great value in silent obedience. There is such great value in just silent obedience. If you are a parent in this room, I'm sure you can agree with that statement. 
Amen? Wouldn't it be great if our children just silently obeyed? My children, if you have children like that, can we trade? Right? I, I want children like that. I want children, when I tell them to do something, instead of asking questions or asking, I hate the question why. They always ask why. Why, Daddy? Right? Guys, eat your broccoli. Why? Like, what do you mean why? And at that point now, I have to like, like start giving them reasons to eat broccoli. Right? Oh, broccoli is good for you. And I get desperate. I get desperate as a parent. I, I make things up, right? Eat your broccoli if you want to grow. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure that's true. Maybe that's true. I'll, I'll stretch it a little bit, right? My son plays baseball. He loves baseball. Ethan, eat your broccoli. You're going to hit home runs. Just eat your broccoli, right? Man, what I wouldn't give for children that would just silently obey. I never get that. If you have, like, like I said, if you have children like that, let's trade. I'll take those children. Silent obedience. Abraham, in, his, in the face of his greatest trial, in the face of his biggest hardship, in the face of a command that didn't make sense, in the face of a command that would hurt him to the core, he remained silent and he obeyed. I believe we need to learn to do the same to remain silent, and to obey God. So that's the first saying. Abraham says nothing. The second saying is actually a saying. From here on out, he actually says these things. But the passage continues to progress. So the next morning, early, early in the next morning, Abraham gets up, and he himself prepares for the sacrifice. Now, Often, many times, he could have servants do that, but he felt that it was necessary that he would get all this stuff ready. So he got the wood, chopped the wood, get everything ready. And he took two young men, and they began this journey. And they go for three days, and they walk along. And let's pick this up in verse 4. It says this, On the third day, Abraham, after three days of long journeying, the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. That's the next phrase we're going to look at. I and the boy, we, will go over there and worship, and then we will come back to you. The first part of that response is that we will go and worship. I think there's such great truth embedded in those words. And I believe the lesson that we can learn through the, that response that Abraham gives is that we need to worship all the more in the face of hardship. We need to worship all the more in the face of hardship. You see, Abraham, although facing his greatest struggle, Abraham's intent was worshiping God. He longed to worship God, even in the midst of difficult times, even in the midst of the most difficult trial he has ever faced, in the midst of all that hardship. His intent was to worship God. You know, this, this is incredible to me because of this particular moment when he says these words. God commands him to sacrifice his son, so he gathers everything up, and now he's got a three-day journey. Three-day journey. And in those three days, only God knows what was going through his mind. I can only imagine all the, uh, like, trying to wrestle with the idea of having to sacrifice his own son. Maybe even in the way, silently pleading with God. I don't know. But the anxiety and the anxiousness leading up in those three days. But there is something about seeing the actual like moment, seeing the thing that you're anxious about that heightens the anxiety. And here it says, Abraham looks up and he sees the mountain. When I was uh, younger, I was deathly afraid of roller coasters. I was, well, really because I've never experienced a roller coaster. And, uh, and I, I don't like heights that much. And so I was, I was really afraid 
of roller coasters when I was young. I was junior high age. I just got into youth group, and every year we do a, a youth group trip, and we pack the church van, and we drive from really like the inner city, inner part of Chicago, and we drive north to Six Flags Great America. And everyone was so excited about this trip, everyone except for me. I was, I was, I was so scared. And I didn't know what to expect. And I remember it's about a 45-minute drive. And the whole way, all I could think about, as, as everyone was like having fun, yelling, screaming, all I could think about was, I'm going to die today. This is my last day on earth. Like, I hope I said goodbye to my parents. And I love them. Because I'm going to die. I'm literally, I'm just going to die. Either the roller coaster is going to break and I'm going to fall off. Or the, this thing, whatever, the harness is not going to work. Or I was really skinny, right? So I'm going to slide out the, the roller coaster. I, I'm just going gonna to die. Or it's going to be so scary, I'm just going like, to go. Like, that's all I could think about the entire trip. So I was anxious and I was nervous. But there's this moment, I, it's like, I think it's I-94, and you make this bend on that expressway. And you turn around and you see, right, the roller coaster. The, the Great American Eagle. It, it was a wooden roller coaster. It was all rickety, right? And it shook every time you got, went on. I, I, I didn't know that at the time, but I saw the enormousness of this roller coaster, and my anxiety went from like a 10 to like a 1,000. I was like crawling at the, like clawing at the walls trying to get out of the van somehow to escape because I was so scared the moment I saw the roller coaster. I think Abraham was experiencing maybe the same kind of sensation. For three days, he had to contemplate the whole idea of sacrificing his son. Three days' journey. Finally, he's there. He looks up and he sees the very mountain on which he is to sacrifice his only and beloved son, Isaac. And what does he say in that heightened moment of anxiety, in that most difficult time? Now it's real. Now it's here. He sees it. It's going to happen. And what does he say? We will worship. In our hardship, all the more it is necessary that we worship. In our most difficult times, in the times when we don't feel like worshiping, those are the times when it's most necessary for us to worship. I've heard so many times, and I know I've said this too, like I, I don't feel like worshiping, and I don't want to worship. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to worship when I don't feel like it. Worshiping when you don't feel like it is not hypocrisy, it is faithfulness. And in those moments of despair and hardship and trial, all the more we need to cling to God. We need to draw near to Him. We need to be encouraged in corporate worship with others around us who are singing, faithfully, serving, loving God. We need to be encouraged by that. All the more we need to be in the Word of God, be encouraged by His promises and His goodness and the stories of His faithfulness. All the more we must worship when in difficult times. Now, Abraham responds with, we will worship, but then he also says something that's very interesting as well, right? Look at that in verse 3 with me. Oh, I'm sorry, verse uh, uh, 5, then Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey, I and the boy will go over there and worship, and then he says this, and come again to you. He tells these young men, and again, I don't know, maybe because he didn't want them to know. I, don't, I know if, if I was in his shoes, I'd say this, but I, I believe there is a certain amount of faith that Abraham is showing here. And I think the thing that we can learn, learn from this as he says that we will come again to you is that we need in our hardship to cling to God's promises. We need to hold on to the promises of God. Now, Abraham had no idea how God would keep his promise. When God had promised that he would, there would be a multitude, right, and he would bless the nations through his heir, and that heir was Isaac, not Ishmael, but Isaac, and that God would bless his people through him. 
Like, how is that possible when in moments he was to sacrifice Isaac? But instead of questioning, Abraham here clings to God's promise. He holds firmly to the promises of God, and he tells the two young men, we will be back. He didn't know how, but he didn't need to know how. Instead, he was more intent on holding on to the promiser than the promises. Let me explain that a little bit more in detail. I think often as Christians, we cling to the promises, and we should. We should be in the Word of God, memorize the promises of God. We should be praying through the promises of God when we pray. But often we cling so firmly to the promises that often when God leads us in the direction that seems opposite of promises, we tend to complain. We tend to question. But rather, I think here in this passage, what we see is that Abraham clings to the promiser who throughout his entire life has always been faithful, always kept his promises. And he clings to the promiser so that even though he's being led in a direction that seems opposite of God's promises, he never faltered to hold on to those promises because it wasn't about the promise. It was about the promiser. Brothers and sisters, we need to cling to the promiser who is faithful through and through. In those moments when our lives are headed in a direction that seems opposite of where we should be going, then and even then we are able to remain faithful because God is still faithful. It's like God telling me, Peter, I'm going to take you to Orlando, Florida. For some reason, the automated car led by God leads me to Atlanta. I'm thinking, look, Wait a minute here. If I cling to the promises, I'm thinking to God, this is not the right direction, God. I start complaining. I start questioning God. I say, but, but God, remember your promise. You told me, Orlando, we're kind of going the wrong direction here. God, this is not right. There's something wrong here. But you cling to the promiser. Then even if he leads you in the wrong direction, you have faith that for some reason, God's leading you in the direction. But eventually, I'm getting to Orlando because God promised me that. You see, we need to cling to the promiser, hold firm to the promiser, and especially, especially when life's road takes us in a direction that seems opposite. We need to cling to the promises of God. The next response that we're going to look at here this morning of Abraham is this response, here I am, here I am. Now, Abraham says this response three times, twice to God when God calls him and once to his son, twice to God and once to his son. And I believe there are three important aspects of this simple three-word phrase or response that we need to understand in this response of here I am. And the first one is this, first aspect is this, it's a response to duty. That simple three-word phrase is a response to a duty or a calling, if you will. When he responds to God, as God calls out his name and says, Abraham, he's responding as, his, as a duty as a servant. He's responding as a servant and his duty before God as a servant. When he says, here I am, Lord, it's understanding that God is the master and he is his servant. When he responds to Isaac, when Isaac calls to him, and this response is, is amazing again because it, in this moment, Isaac is saying, look, Dad, I, I, I see the wood and I see the fire, but where's the, where's the lamb? We can only speculate that Abraham and Isaac have been on this journey before and gone together on for the sacrifice. So Isaac knows very well the, the process of it, knows exactly what they need, and they have the fire and the wood, but they didn't have the lamb this time. And it was off. Something was wrong. And so Isaac asked his dad, where's the lamb? In Abraham's response to Isaac, uh, it's his duty as a father. His duty as a father. 
He was responding to Isaac because he was his father. And I can't imagine the anguish Abraham must have felt at that moment when he asked him that question. So there's a response of duty. There's this response of, of, of obligation or duty that you have as you respond, here I am. But secondly, there's also an acknowledgement of love. There is an acknowledgement of love to God. He was responding to his name, Abraham. Both times called out Abraham, and he's responding to his name. The very name that God gave him when he made his promises to him, changed his name to Abraham to Abraham. And he was responding. There is this acknowledgement of love, this bond between God and Abraham. That response of here I am isn't just merely three words. It's also acknowledging that there is a relationship and a love shared. His response to Isaac was responding in a father's love. Isaac said, where? Where's the lamb? And he was responding to him, here I am, my son, in a, in a, in a love that only a father and a son could have. The third aspect of that, not only is it a response to duty, an acknowledgement of love, but finally, it is a submission of will. It is a submission of will. It's submitting my will to yours. Here I am. It's, there's a humble uh, feeling towards that response. Right? And when he, uh, Abraham responds, here I am, he's submitting himself to their will. So with the response to God, he was, he's submitting, surrendering to God his will in that response. To Isaac, Abraham, as a father. And, and any parent will understand this. It's a longing and a desire to provide and to give what they want, what they desire. My kids, when they ask me for something, I always want to give it to them. Always. Often it's not the best thing to give, and so I say no. My second daughter, she is, uh, she's got a sweet tooth. She loves her sweets. And so there's many times she asks for candy, and as a loving father, I want to submit my will and give her the candy because I want her to be happy, but I also know that it's not good for her and she's going to get cavities. So I have to often say no. But in that response... As a father, as a loving father, it's a response of a desire to do their will, to provide, to give them what they want. Now, there's a problem here because there's conflicting desires. God called Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. And Abraham said, here I am. He submitted his will to God. Follow through. And in this moment, Isaac says, where's the lamb? And I can only imagine the heartbreak. As a parent, like, like this passage was, I mean, always amazing whenever I read it, but after having children, it took on a completely different meaning. Like, I can't imagine the, the, the anguish Abraham felt when Isaac asked him, where's the lamb? And Abraham knew that Isaac was a sacrifice. I think every ounce of Abraham wanted to say, you're right, let's go get a lamb. Let's just, let's just forget it, let's just go get a lamb. Let's find something else. And so there's a conflict of wills here between God and his beloved son. And in this moment, Abraham has to decide who he's going to follow his most precious beloved son, or God, his heavenly father. And Abraham puts God's will above Isaac. Could not have been easy to do. But he put God first. He submitted his will to God first. And he and Isaac began to climb the mountain. The final phrase that we're going to look at here this morning is the phrase, God will provide. God will provide. Where do we see that in this passage? It says, after Isaac 
asks him, where is the lamb? Right? And then Abraham, the, the heartbreak and the anguish and trying to find his words, he says these words. He says in verse 8, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. God will provide. I think what Abraham was saying here to Isaac is somehow, some way, I don't know how, I don't know how it's going to happen, but God will provide a way. How is Abraham so faithfully able to say those words? I believe it's because of all the past faithfulness of God. God has been always faithful, kept his promises. When he said that you will have a son, and Sarah was well beyond childbearing age, and they thought that's impossible, they laughed at the idea, and yet they had a son. God remained faithful over and over and over again. And somehow Abraham clings to this and says, somehow, I don't know how, but God will provide a way. You see, when we remain faithful in responding to God in worship, God provides a way. God always provides a way. In our hardship, in our struggles, God always provides a way to stand under it. But not only does God provide a way, God also provides the way. This passage, as you read it more and more, it's clear, so clear, that it is a foreshadowing, a pointing forward to the cross. Because many, many years later, God would send His only Son, His beloved Son, whom He loved. And that Son, Jesus Christ, would die on the cross for us. He would be sacrificed for us. Just as Abraham was to sacrifice his son, it is a pointing forward to Jesus Christ who would lay down his life for us on the cross and be sacrificed in our place, in our stead. But also, just as God provides the ram to take the place of Isaac, it is a reminder that Christ has taken our place on the cross. So I shared at the beginning of this message uh, about my daily night or nightly routine with my kids. And I said that I was asked a question that really moved me. And this was the question I was asked. So I was leaning and giving a, a kiss, good night, pulling away, looking forward to turning on Netflix. My daughter says to me this, whispers to me this. Did Abraham not love Isaac? Did Abraham not love Isaac? Now, mind you, this is late at night. I know how to deal with this question, right? Um, I, just said, I just said this. No, he loved him very much. Now go to bed. I walked out. Was it? I didn't give her a chance to say why, right? But I remember that question moved me deeply. It touched, my, it touched me deeply. Because in her mind, it, it, was, it didn't make sense. Doesn't make sense that Abraham would be willing to sacrifice his own son. It doesn't make sense. In her mind, if Abraham loved Isaac... The way their daddy loves them, he would have said no. He wouldn't have done it. So she asked me, does Abraham love Isaac? And in that moment, I felt God moving in my heart and speaking to me. And this is what I heard. 
like I felt like God the Father saying, I love my son. I was reminded of how much God the Father loved his son, his divine son. And that relationship with none of us ever will experience until we are in heaven. I, I don't think we'll ever experience a love like that. It's a perfect love and a perfect union, one that we've never experienced. And that love that God, that God the Father had for God the Son, and yet, and yet, he was sent to us to die on the cross and three days later resurrect. He was our sacrifice. Sacrifice his son. And in that moment, I was reminded of that immense love. And in remind, being reminded of that immense love reminded me of something else. God was reminding me of his love between God the Father, God the Son. I was then reminded of then how much he must love me. How much he must love me that he would send his only beloved son to die on the cross and take my place. That is the God we follow. That is the God who is faithful in the midst of your hardship. That is the God who remains faithful in the midst of all your trials. That is the God we follow. Let's pray. I want to give us just a few minutes here this morning to have some time to respond in prayer. And I will admit to you even those that I know in this room and have known for some time, I don't know your struggles. I don't know your hardships. I don't know your trials. As a church, brothers and sisters, you have been in my prayers, but I don't know the trials and the difficulties and the struggles that you face. But I know, I know my God has always been faithful. I know the God that we follow is good, that he himself is a promise keeper, that he himself is a way maker. He makes a way for us. I know that he is faithful. All we need to do is obey him, worship him, follow him. Because he is good and he is faithful. So for just a few minutes, I want to invite you to pray. If you are going through some struggles or some hardship, I want you to lift that up to God. Be honest with Him. Tell God, I don't understand it. It doesn't seem to make sense. It seems like we're going in the wrong direction, God. But if this is your will, God, help me to be faithful. Cling to the promiser who always keeps his promises. If you're not going through hardship right now, I truly believe in stored up prayer. All the more when you're not going through hardship, you need to pray. Pray, cling to God who is our promise keeper. Seek him. Pray that God would grant you more faith. Pray that God would help you stand up in the midst of trials that are yet to come. And cling to him who is always faithful, who loves you deeply. Let's take just a few minutes and pray to our God who loves us. Let's pray.
also want to take this time to invite you to pray for this church. Every time I come back here, I'm so blessed to be here. It's a tough time for many churches. It's the first time I got to worship indoors. I walked in here. It's the first time I saw chairs that are separated. And I know for many of us, it's still getting used to that. But you know the struggles and the difficulties that maybe your church is going through. And I want to give you this time to just pray for your church. Pray for your church leaders. Pray that they would, by God's leading, navigate this church through the pandemic and all that's happening. And that this church will be stronger because of it. That it will be salt and light in a, in a world that, frankly, at this time, if you look at the news, there's so much darkness. Pray for your church. Pray for your church leaders. Let's take a minute and let's pray together and trust in the Lord to guide us through this. Let's pray. stand and worship God together. 